America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, we are talking with Jody Thompson from Culture RX and co-founder of Row. Well, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Jody. Well, it's great to be here. I'm really glad to talk to you guys today. And you and I have had some interaction in the past. You did a, a program for a group that I'm a part of about a month ago. And I just want to let you know, I first came across your work at, by, through Ron, who had recommended your book to me back in 2008 or 2009, uh, the, the first book, Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It. And you, you have subsequently written with your co-author, Callie Ressler, a second book, Why Managing Sucks and How to Fix It. Tell our audience, though, what is the origin of Row, this thing called Results Only Work Environment? How did that get started? Well, we did start that, you know, quite a while ago, Ed, back in about 2003 at Best Buy Corporate Headquarters. And at that time, Callie and I were in human resources, and we were tasked with um, taking flexible work arrangements across the corporate organization. I was in change management, and Callie was in work-life strategies, so to speak. And at that time, you know, a lot of people, and for many years, they were trying to do this thing called flexible work. And flexible work, as you know, is a managed program. And when we were looking at that, we were thinking, you know, people have been doing this for decades. What is it about it that isn't really working very well for companies? Because, you know, companies, they start it, they take it away, they start it, they take it away. And what we realized is people don't really want flexibility. What they really want is they want complete control over their time. And what flexible work programs do is they give managers more control over people's time. They don't give people more control over their time. So it's really autonomy that people were looking for, and flexible work schedules don't give people that. So that's where that whole idea of results-only work environments started to take shape. It was that whole idea that what you're really hiring people for is to, um, to do work and give you results, not to necessarily just punch that time clock. And was there an epiphany that happened in the organization? Did you and, and Callie get together and say, you know, I th- we, we think we've got this thing solved, or was it more organic? Did it slowly develop over time that you, you put this thing together? 
Well, it was it was a light bulb kind of went off in our heads when we started to think about it, and we thought, let's experiment with some teams. And we we looked at a couple of leaders that we sat down with them and said, you know, we think we're we're onto something here. We think that giving people complete control over their time, so that relationship between the manager and and the individual contributor, rather than have people ask permission to leave early, come in late, work from home, whatever that is, let's let's stop that craziness and have that conversation just be about the work. So if I want to do something different with my schedule, let's say, I don't have that conversation anymore. I just do it. The conversations really are just about the work. Well, that's really radical, right? If I'm not going to go and say, hey, boss, is it okay if I work from home on a Friday? Well, that's what the manager does, right? They give permission for that. What we learned was... When we started to experiment with this idea, lo and behold, people don't really know what the work is. That's what we uncovered. What is the work? If I'm not managing people, if I'm not managing their schedules and their time and place, I have to actually manage results. I have to manage the work. And we uncovered this this sort of conundrum out there that nobody was really clear about measurable results. So we started looking at this thing that wasn't a results-oriented work environment, which really every organization is oriented towards results. We wanted to create the results-only work environment where every single person, no matter what your job was, was crystal clear on what they were delivering to the organization, and managers managed the work, not the people. And and this had to be shocking to the system of, in corporate America at Best Buy. The, the, there must there, the, clearly there was some pushback. Well, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of pushback. In fact, um, people were were sort of up in arms about it. But luckily, you know, at Best Buy there was there was this spirit of innovation that that went on all the time, and we were able to do this sort of human experimentation there. That was kind of the exciting thing about it. So we got to go to certain teams, right, and we got to experiment with this idea. And as we were experimenting with it, we were, we were coming up with how do you actually do social disruption? How do you take an idea like this and actually start changing people's belief system about how work really happens? And as we were doing it, we were coming up with really this, this new platform where there weren't guidelines, so to speak, about how people did things, but we came up with more of what we call the 13 guideposts. So how do you um, start to change people's belief systems so that they start to really believe other things about how work happens? And we were really smashing that idea about the time clock, right? And, and people thinking about work in that 40-hour work week. And so in order to do that, we really had to you know, figure out how to create process out of social change. And it wasn't really that easy. I mean, it, it was difficult to try to, to create a process out of that. But over time, we, we really did create a process out of this whole social, social change idea. And we were able to take teams through a process to change workplace language, to change belief systems, and, um, and actually shift culture. And, you know, people say you can't change culture, right? Well, we didn't believe that. We believe that we actually could, and we started to. 
And it brings up two different areas, I think, that uh, when when I have thought through some of the, your concepts in your book uh, come back to me. What do you think is the more difficult thing to do in the organization? Change that the language that's used around the work or teaching people to actually become uh, aware of what the what the work is in other words really defining the work because i think there's two components there right there's the cultural shift and then there's the well okay yes we agree with the cultural shift but okay how do we get our hands around what is the work well you know you and i had had some conversation about that when we were together a couple months ago because changing the language is a hurdle but we started to find, when we started to change the language, and if people read our book, Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It, we have this thing called sludge. And when we started to change the language about how people judged other people, about how people spend their time, so we can talk about sludge in a little bit if you want, we created sort of this game around that, which became easy. So we, we, when we created a game Changing the language it became easy for people. And once we did that language change, then the belief system came right behind it. So that sort of became easy. But then defining what the work is became the biggest hurdle of all. People had a really hard time actually defining what is the real work and how do I measure it? Because what we're doing in work all across the globe we're finding is we're using time plus presence equals results. So it's not necessarily physical presence, but it's even virtual presence. It's the, it's how much time I put in, and it's my presence, either physical or virtual, I have to say where I am, right, Equals is somehow equaling results. So when I'm using that as the currency of work, I don't really have to get really crystal clear on what the measure, true measure of results is because I'm putting in my time to get a paycheck. Jody, this is Ron, and, and thank you so much for coming on. I'm a big, big fan of you and Callie's work uh, ever since I saw you back at the A&A when you did a presentation, and, and I'll, I'll give you an, a very interesting uh, side story on that uh, a little bit later on. But I, I love this formula that you have, the, 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 the myth that time plus physical presence equals results, which you, well, I think what you call presenteeism. And it, it is true that we only think like this at work. I mean, one of my favorite lines in your book is, nobody looks at a pile of laundry and thinks, I better make sure I'm putting enough hours into this. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right? yes, that's for sure. I mean, we we look at the inputs, I think, because it's so much easier to measure the inputs than to judge the outputs. You know, I live in wine country here in Northern California, and the wineries have a great saying that it's easier to count the bottles than to describe the wine. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's a real big problem because all of our metrics that we use grew out of the industrial organization when we were all working on factories and the work was clearly visible. And now that we do so much knowledge work that takes place in people's heads, it's invisible. So I, I, I'm not sure if there's a question in there more than a statement, but this is an enormous, enormously endemic paradigm and and you're challenging it, I think, from a very innovative angle, um, you know, giving more, giving people more autonomy at work. But but it is an enormous challenge, isn't it? It it absolutely is. I think what's happened is we've 
we've used that as sort of a cop-out. It's sort of like, well, you know, you can't really measure what I do because I'm a knowledge worker. So we've taken that and we've, and we've used that as a, as a way to, to not really think about the value we bring to the organization. So I can, I can use that, that, that phrase, I'm a knowledge worker, to not really sit and, and examine what I bring against the money you pay me. And I, and I don't really have to tie my role to the outcome of the organization and the customer we serve and try to figure out how that ties together with what I do. And interestingly enough, when we go in and we work with organizations on helping them adopt the results-only work environment through the process we've developed, every single person can figure out measurably how they add value in, in, in a real way when they actually sit down and do the hard work of figuring it out. They can figure it out. It's just that we've, we've all decided to just throw that phrase out. I'm a knowledge worker, so you can't really, you can't really figure that out for me. Right. And because right. we've all done that, we just believe it. It's a belief. It's an orthodoxy. Right. Well, organizations have to figure it out. Otherwise, I mean, the only reason they hire somebody at the margin is because that person is contributing more than they're costing. So exactly. that judgment is being made somewhere by somebody along along the line and much better for the employee to have input and some say-so over it. Well, absolutely. And I think when the, when the employee has input and say and has to sit down and figure it out, they become more competent, right? And they become an owner themselves in their own mind. Otherwise, right. they're complacent. And, and you get things like, well, why, why didn't you get that done? Or why isn't that successful? Or why aren't we successful with that project? And then people start saying, well, I put in 60 hours. Well, I'm working around the clock. Well, I'm, you know, putting in a lot of effort. Okay, here's your paycheck. Right. <laughs> you know. Right, and, right. And, that's, well, and think about how much that's going on oh, everywhere. So- it's a, and as they say, efforts will be rewarded in heaven, but here, here on, on Earth, we need results, right? <laughs> right. Well, Jody, we right. need to take a break, but uh, we'll, we'll definitely dive into this more uh, when we come back. I want to talk to you about the concept of presenteeism and then how looking at the clock actually distorts our behavior. So we'll, we'll, so we'll carry on. This has been a fascinating conversation. And folks, you can certainly follow us on our show notes at verisage.com slash TSOE. We will post Jody and Kelly's books up there and give links to their website and maybe some uh, excerpts from their book as well. And you can also follow the show live on Twitter, hashtag TSOE. And if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can email us at TSOE at verisage.com. And now we want to hear a word from our sponsor, Leading Results. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You've experienced it. 
Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. What makes great leaders? Results? A lasting legacy? Is it making a difference in your life or maybe the lives of others? I lead. The Leadership Connection with host Dr. Linda Sharkey will bring you the practical tips and tools to make you an extraordinary leader and by doing so, build a better, more successful, and more profitable organization. Our show is all about you, the leader that you can be, and the culture that you can create. Tune in to I Lead, The Leadership Connection, live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. Here we're here with Jody Thompson, author along with Callie Resler of Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It from Go Row. And row stands for results-only work environment. It's something that Ed and I are, are enormous believers in. We fit. We believe it fits right in with the with the knowledge economy. And, and Jody, I love your description of row. It's TiVo at work. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, and, and one of the things you know, we talk. You talk about this idea of presenteeism, and that the 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 equation that you say is a myth is that time plus physical presence equals results. And and we all know this isn't true. I mean. It kind of keeps us focused on the labor pains rather than the baby, right? When nobody wants yep. to hear about the labor pains. We want to see the baby. And I'm reminded, Ed and I like to talk about the Simpsons every now and then because there's so much wisdom in there. But Homer Simpson's talking to Lisa about the teacher strike. And he says, Lisa, if you don't like your job, you don't go on strike. You just go in and do it real half-ass. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, to your comment about knowledge workers love to say that they can't be measured, I will say this about the difference between knowledge work and industrial work or even service work. In a factory, it's really obvious if I start screwing up, but in the knowledge environment, in order for somebody to figure out that I'm screwing off or shirking, a judgment has to be made. So it is a little bit easier to shirk in a knowledge environment, but that's true no matter what. Right? Well, ab- well, absolutely. I mean, you really can look like you're working hard if you show up early, stay late, go to a lot of meetings, <laughs> right? Carry a lot of paper around and talk a lot about how hard you're working. And right. I think I think that's what's going a lot, on a lot. You know, that whole thing about presenteeism where you show up and and not necessarily do work but you're at the workplace, people are playing that game all the time, and everybody knows it, right? So we're talking about this whole overwork problem all across the globe and people burning out. It's because we're all trying to outwork each other, and we're not necessarily getting anything done. But we have to stay longer than the next person. We have to get in earlier than the next person. It's all about sort of playing that time game with each other, 
but we're not necessarily doing work. We did some experiments with people, and we and we actually went around and we tried to um, see where people were really productive, right? So people would say, oh, I worked 60 hours last week. I worked 70 hours last week. And he said, okay, let's see when you really were working. Let's, let's try to actually see when you were productive. Let's have you write down when you were actually working. So they started to really say, okay, I'm going to go into the office, and I'm only going to write down the actual time I was productive. Well, lo and behold, people found out they were only working 25 hours, <laughs> not 70. Okay, right. so let's be real. Half the time you were, you know, having coffee, talking to people, going to the bathroom, eating, go, and, and they couldn't count unproductive meetings. So if you're in a meeting where you're unproductive, that doesn't count. Right. Because you're wasting time, right? <laughs> there goes half their day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was really funny. I would I say to people all over when I'm doing speaking gigs or I'm in companies working with them, I'll say, well, how much of your meeting time are you spending in unproductive meetings? And they'll say, oh, at least, you know, 60, 70, 80% of my time. Right. Well, that's so because true. meetings look like work, right? Work sucks. Meetings look like work. And when I'm in meetings all day, I look like I'm, I'm working hard and I'm, it's miserable. <laughs> Isn't that what work's about, right? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's very interesting how we confuse being busy with being effective. Right. right. And, and that is so common. And, you know, we know that eBay auctions peak between 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. when supposedly we're all working. So I think something right, else is right. going on. <laughs> well, but, unless we're in, we're in our work clothes, right? We're in the workplace. It all looks like work, but it's not work. You know, one of the things you talk about that really intrigued me because, you know, you, you probably know Ed and I are probably on the same wavelength of you because we work with a lot of professional firms trying to get rid of the timesheet and the whole billable hour concept. Yep. And you say that the clock distorts our behavior. It turns us into liars. It disrupts engagement, uh, collaboration with fellow colleagues, and it probably also disrupts proper planning, and it also discourages innovation and creativity. And I, I can't tell you just how corroborated <laughs> we have found those results to be. The, the, you've absolutely nailed it with that list of okay. how looking at the clock distorts all of these things. Well, it absolutely does. You know, everything is, is based on looking at the clock. And that's sort of like where we start, right? And the thing about the workplace right now, I think, I think one of the things that um, I, I'd like to start with that, that whole concept of sludge, right? So people are judging other people every day on the clock. So, for example, I might be looking at you and I might see you walk out of the building at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So the first thing I'm thinking is that you're a slacker. Right, you're leaving at three o'clock, so I think you stopped working. So I might look and I might say, "Oh, you know, look at Ron leaving at three o'clock in the afternoon. Boy, I wish I could leave early every day." <laughs> now it might be that you're still working. I don't know that, but right away I'm judging you based on the t- on the clock. Yeah, so true. And it, or wow, look at Ronnie's going out for another cigarette. Maybe I'll take up smoking. It, it, that's it is right. So childish. <laughs> It is, but we're all looking at each other, and so we use the clock to judge how other people are spending their time. We say it about people with kids, you know, boy, I wish I could, you know, pick up my kid every day at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, or we talk about people that smoke, we talk about all this kind of stuff about how people spend their time. 
And you know those teleworkers, you know they're not working. They're just sitting home doing their laundry all day and eating bonbons. And so this whole, this whole language of work is, is all bound around the time clock. And so that's the first thing we think of when we're all trying to one-up each other and, and all this stuff. And so when you think about it, if all I can think about is how to, um, you know, step on Ed to make myself look better around the time clock, first of all, I'm not innovating. I'm not thinking about my work. All I'm thinking about is myself and how I can somehow, you know, scam, scam it better than Ed or somebody else either make myself look better, make Ed look worse, whatever. Because it's, it's all around that whole idea of the 40-hour the work week that somebody set up in, what, 1934? I don't even know when that was set up. <laughs> but it, but it's, it's such a last-century notion. We haven't moved past it. Yeah, and, and, and what I find even more bizarre is the psychology of what you guys called self-sludge. You sludge yourself. Oh, absolutely. Because we're in a system that, that like I said, was it, it's part of the industrial age, and we've all said that before, and it's part of our DNA. You know, our parents were worked at, it's part of what we, we understand about work, it's part of what we believe about work, and it's just within us. And so we even feel bad. You know, we even feel like if we're coming in, you know, at a certain time, and, it's, and it feels late to us, we, we, we can feel it, right? And we can feel people looking at us and we start to make excuses. And, and people aren't thinking about the work when they're thinking about this. They're thinking about what do people think of me? People are thinking I'm a slacker. Now I have to come up with excuses. And, and pe- this is making people feel stressed out and guilty and resentful and pissed off. And none of it's about the work. And then, and then they're hearing, now let's innovate, everyone. <laughs> you know, let's be creative. Well, guess what? You're starting from a place of, you know, feeling like crap. You know, and, and then they say, you know, why aren't you engaged? Why aren't you motivated? Well, I'm not, I'm not motivated because that always gets to leave early and he gets to work from home and he sucks up to the boss and I don't feel good about that. <laughs> and we've got about two minutes left in this segment. So what, there, what I, one of the things I liked about your, your session was you also then gave the antidote to sludge. And it's, it's so deceptively simple but incredibly powerful. Would you mind, mind sharing what the antidote to sludge well, yes, the, the actual antidote to sludge, is, it, it's actually focusing on results. But if, if um, somebody says to you something like, you know, boy, 10 o'clock and you're just getting in, I wish I could come in late every day, you just simply say, is there something you need? So you're always going right back to results, always asking, is there something you need? Because when you do that, pretty soon everybody just starts asking for what they need. Because that's what's important in a results-only work environment. Always asking for what you need, not judging people on how they spend their time. That's what starts to change the language of the workplace. 
and it was it was incredible during the session. I I, I don't think that the the folks who were were there completely got that's it. That's how easy it is. It's it's just a matter of shifting that language because, like you say, once one person starts to respond that way, then everybody starts talking about the work. Well, you know, do you need something from me? Well, no. Okay, well then, just shut up about it then. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and they won't say it again. Hey, it's two o'clock. Where are you going? Is there something you need? Instead of it's making excuses or, you know, I forgot to tell you I'm going to the dentist, but I'm going to be working late tonight. And, you know, it just makes people feel like crap. Just simply, is there something you need? Well, great. And I, I, I just I love that. And I, I was, it was, it was, again, deceptively simple and just, but extraordinarily powerful. So thanks for sharing that with us. Well, we are up against a, a break, folks. And, but you can always follow along with us online at verisage.com slash TSOE. That's where we post show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. You can email us at TSOE at verisage.com. And that emails both to Ron and myself. And follow us along on Twitter. We have uh, Wendy and uh, Dawn out there today. So thanks for the, the tweets, guys. We really appreciate that at pound TSOE. But right now we have a, our, our word from our sponsor, Azamba. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick-and-mortar locations or traditional bankers' hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to the Soul of Enterprise. Well, on us on our show today, we have Jody Thompson from Go Row. Or Jody, is it Go Row or Culture RX? I was meaning to ask that. You guys seem to use that interchangeably. GoRow.com is our website. Culture RX is the company. It's company name. Okay, great. Yep. 
Um, it, during the, the, the presentation that you did for a, a group uh, uh, that I was associated with about a, uh, two months ago, I guess it was now, uh, we, you, you talked about this concept of the ultimate customer and, and defining the work around the ultimate customer. And if you could just share with our audience, first of all, what that concept is, and then second is how to begin to put it in place in, in your organization. Yeah, you know, we, we work with a lot of organizations, and what we find is very interesting, Ed, is that in organizations, people are serving so many different customers that it becomes very confusing to people who the ultimate customer really is. And I guess this is what I mean. So we have organizations look at who is the one customer that you're ultimately serving. So why does your organization really exist? And who is that one customer that you're serving? And aligning everybody in the organization around that customer. We'll go into organizations and and people will say, well, I have an internal customer and I have this internal customer and I have this internal customer. And what happens is when people are serving so many different customers, they're not really crystal clear on, on exactly who they're serving. So let me give you an example. So there's a large retailer um, that's in, in the uh, Twin City area here where I live. And somebody was working in their corporate um, facility. And I, it, was, it was a holiday. And I asked this person, is the store open today? And this person said, well, well I don't know. And I was, I was so surprised by that because I'm the ultimate customer, right? I shop at that store. I am the ultimate customer. And the person that worked in the corporate facility did not know if the store was open. So what this person does is they look at somebody internally as their customer, but really the, who they're working for and who they ultimately serve is me. And to not even know if the store is open when the ultimate customer asks the question isn't right. <laughs> okay? It's just not right. Now, I also looked on the website of that store and could not find if the store was open that day. So the people that are, you know, taking care of the website are also not serving the ultimate customer because I couldn't find out if the store was open by looking on the website. So I also called the store. The people that do the voicemail for the store are also not concerned about the ultimate customer because their voicemail wasn't changed, so I also couldn't find out if the store was open by calling the voicemail. So the only way I could find out if that large retail store was open was to get in my car and drive there. So when people throughout the entire system aren't focused on the ultimate customer, then what they do on a daily basis isn't aligned, so the work isn't aligned with serving that customer They might be doing activities on a daily basis, but they're not activities that are aligning to the one group or the one ultimate customer that they're serving. So that ultimate customer isn't getting what they need, just like me, that customer that shops at that retail store. I couldn't even find out if the store was open. (laughs) And in all of those channels, voicemail, website, asking an employee, so... They might have all been serving, I don't know who, but I'm the customer. You know, that brings up a really good point that's just embedded in, in the very name row, and that's the results of an organization take place outside of its four walls. 
you know, the result of a hospital, a, a cured patient, the result of a church, a saved soul. And I think as companies grow, they do tend to, to, to start to look inward. It, it, it's a very interesting dynamic. Um, Jody, I wanted to ask you, I saw you and Kaylee do a presentation. I think it was back in late 2008, maybe early 2009. I really enjoyed it. It was the first time I got to meet the both of you. And as you know, I'm sure you do a lot of public speaking. As you know, the real feedback happens in the restroom. And <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, I can only say that as a, as a male, okay? Just so right. you know. But, uh, <laughs> I, I've, I have talked to female keynote speakers, and they say it's true on the, on the women's side, too. But it anyway, it after is. your presentation, <laughs> I, I went into the restroom. And as you know, in that audience, there were a lot of Fortune 100 companies. They're talking very big organizations that were listening to you that day. And of course, I was pumping my fist in the air. I was psyched after hearing your presentation. But they stood in the bathroom and said, oh, well, that's all great in theory, but uh, that would never right. work in our organization. <laughs> and, you know, you just hear all. And it, it's so great because in your book, you have an entire appendix dedicated to, yeah, buts. Right. <laughs> you know, how are the results going to happen? How do we know if we're achieving our goals? How, how will we know if everybody's pulling their weight? And, and I love your answer. And I don't think it's glib at all. You say, how do you know now? Right. It, it, that that's so true. It, it's like people are comparing your plan to some type of perfect utopia rather than comparing it to what they have now. That that's exactly right, and and that's one of the things that that was very surprising to us, and it still is when we go to organizations. We ask people that they'll they'll start to do that whole. Um, that thing that you're talking about, how are we going to know what people are doing? How are we, we going to know if they're doing the work? You can't possibly tell us this is going to work. And we'll look at them and say, how do you know now that people are getting the work done? And they'll stop and look at us. And, and it's almost like paralyzing. Yeah. Because they realize we don't know what people are doing. And that's that whole time plus physical presence coming in again. Right. They think just because people are in the office, they're actually working, but they don't know what the work is, and they don't really know what they're doing. And, and like you guys say, you know, if somebody's underperforming or not performing, working another 60 hours in the week is probably not going to help. No, <laughs> right. <laughs> and, it, and it's funny, too, because... That whole thing I talked about with flexibility, how people give it and, and take it away and give it and take it away. It's like, okay, we're all going to let you telework now. Okay, now the business isn't going well, so now we're going to make you all come back in the office because we feel like now you're going to collaborate better. Against what? Right. You still don't know what the work is, and you're still not getting clear about measurable results. Right. So all people are talking about now is how pissed off they are that they have to come in the office. Yep. And now That's they're so sludging true. each other. Right. So you haven't changed anything. You know, you talk about flexible schedule being an oxymoron, and you talk about work-life balance is not defined by the employer, but by the employee. And one of my favorite lines is time management is like finding freedom in a prison. This idea that we can manage time, I don't know where it came from, but it's crazy. Time is time. It just passes. 
<laughs> right. People always say, well, I'll make up my time later. And I say, well, how are you going to, you can't make up time. Yeah. <laughs> you can you control know? the energy you put into something, but you can't manage time. No, you can't make up your time. In fact, I was just watching this program about the whole, how, how we started to make clocks and things. And, and it's so interesting because until the late 18. 1800s, we didn't have clocks. That's true. We didn't have time zones. Yep. And people used to say things like, I'll meet you in, in, in two milkings. Like mm-hmm. they, used to, they used to think of time and like the amount of time it would take me to milk to the cow is when right. I'll meet you. Right, right. I'll meet you at sunup, sunrise. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we, we've become so like, you know, the way that the clock, how, how we think about things today is so interesting. And it really didn't happen until the last, you know, 150 years. Before that, we, we weren't tied to time the way we are now. It's very true. There's a, there's a great book on that, by the way, The History of Time, a guy named Richard Levin. He's a professor. It's just absolutely fascinating talking about a lot of the same things you just brought up. Um, I also want to tell you a funny story. One of our colleagues, Dan Morris, he's a CPA sitting on an airplane on a flight next to somebody who works at Best Buy headquarters in your tax department. This was way, this was back in probably 2009, 10, something like that. And so Dan gets excited and he said, well, you must work under a row. And he said, no, not us. We don't, we don't, we don't buy into that. (laughs) (laughs) And I I thought it figures that the CPAs would be against row. (laughs) Exactly. They have to do their counting. (laughs) Yeah, one of my favorite, uh, another one of my favorite lines of yours in the book. He said, "You know, and, and CPAs are, and all professionals are kind of uh, usually." You, people say, "Well, you have to have structure for them. They need structure. They need they need to be led." And you'd say, "We rather have order than excellence," and I, and I think that's a really really good point. You know, I, it, it's interesting. There's there's all these beliefs about, like just like you said, you know, some people need more structure. We call that, again, a belief. And when, when people say to us, well, you know, we can't really do row with this person or this group or whatever because some people just need more structure. You know, we like to say, well, what people need is they need to understand what their measurable results are and they need to be held accountable is what people need. Yep. Autonomy, right? right? Self-governance, but you're accountable for results. Jody, how much of this do you think comes down to a simple lack of trust in organizations? Well, I think, I think well, first of all, results-only work environment is built on a foundation of trust. Right. But I think what happens is organizations say, we, first of all, you need to, you know, we need to build trust, Right. You need to prove, you know, we need to um, have you prove to us we can trust you. And I think that's the wrong way to go about it because the thing is you're never going to be able to prove it enough. Right. And there's, there's a judgment made there. Sure. And so in a results-only work environment, it's built on 100% autonomy and 100% accountability. Right. No results, no job. And... It's, it's, it's really pretty, I mean, it sounds, it sounds simple, but what has to happen is managers have to, number one, hold people accountable to measurable results, right? And there has to be consequences for non-performance. You can't just sweep it under the rug. That's how trust is built. 
right there. Yep. You know what you're supposed to do. There has to be consequences. Uh, you you say quite clearly, and your examples prove it that the, you know slackers don't last in a row. That's it, right. It's really hard to be a slacker if you're holding me accountable for results and deadlines, and you know collaborating with a team. I mean, you just can't slack off. That's right. And guess what? If you don't have results, we're not going to take away your telework program. We're taking away your job. Right. <laughs> but, but, but I meant lack of trust in terms of the resistance to implementing a row. How much of it do you think is that the employer really doesn't trust their employees and that's why they're not implementing row? Well, you know, I think they, they, you know, we think in our minds that they're not trusting their employees, but you know what I think it really is? I think they don't trust themselves. Beautiful. Yeah. That's a great point. I think they're afraid to let go. I think mm-hmm. it's it's very hard for managers to let go because what they're used to doing is managing people. And what they have to do is let go of managing people and manage work. work. And because they don't know what the work is, there's a huge fear there of of them not being able to do the real work that they're supposed to do is and manage work. And so... They don't trust themselves. Right. That's what they don't trust. Very good point. All right. Well, we have to take another break, Jody. But when we come back, uh, we'll we'll ask you some closeout questions uh, on uh, some organizations maybe that have implemented Row and get your uh, get your ideas about uh, how this is diffusing. Where where is Row on the diffusion curve? We'll explain that. Uh, but first, folks, we want to uh, remind you that you can follow the show at verisage.com slash tsoe. You can email Ed or myself at TSOE at Verisage.com. And please follow the show live on Twitter at hashtag TSOE. But now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. What do business and sports have in common? Both are based on competition, and the goal of each is the same, to win. If you're in business, you need an edge over your competitors. You need to innovate and improve. You need to make adjustments to stay ahead of your competition. Tune in to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Get the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. The Business Locker Room airs live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Soul of Enterprise. Ed Kless here again, and we have Jody Thompson from Culture Rx. 
creator or co-creator of Row Results Only Work Environment and co-authors of the book Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It and Why Managing Sucks and How to Fix It. Now, you told us the story earlier that this began at Best Buy. You folks are, have, have since left, left Best Buy and are, are doing your own thing. Why don't you tell us what's, what's going on with uh, CultureRx right now, Jody? Well, yes, we, we did. I, we like to say we escaped from corporate America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we did, and we, we actually have an organization now, Culture RX, and people can visit our website, com, And you can see on that site, too, the, um, the organizations that are row. We have certified, row certified organizations. People can see that on our site. And we're excited to say now we actually do have a row job board where people can, they can go there and look at um, jobs. It's jobs.goro.com um, where they can find row jobs, which is kind of exciting as well. And um, we are um, certifying people. They can um, get certified and help their organizations uh, become a results-only work environment. So we do our own training, too. We'll go out and train organizations and help them become row, or they can actually certify people to uh, train in their organizations as well. So that's what we're doing today. Well, great. And where do you think this is on, on the diffusion curve? Are, are we still at the early adopter phase? I would imagine so. Or are we even maybe not even quite to 1% or 2%? I think we're still in early adoption. You know, we are in multiple countries now, Canada, the U.K., um, South America, United States, obviously. There's, there's organizations all over the world that we're talking to um, that are, you know, responding very favorably to results-only work environments. So um, I still think we're, we are an early adopter, but it's, it's becoming, um, you know, obviously it's a global idea. And more and more organizations are taking it on. So I think um, over the next 10 years, it's going to be a very, very strong, um, you know, it's going to be adopted much more widely and it's going to um, be building momentum. So, Jody, well, how, do you, how do you recommend that organizations get around Department of Labor regulations? You know, we have to track time because of the, the labor regulations. What's your advice for that? Well, a results-only work environment does not break any labor laws, first of all. And, um, you know, there, are, there is some tracking time that has to happen. So, for example, with non-exempt employees, um, our, in the United States, for example, what's happening is um, some of our organizations, certified organizations, are putting non-exempt employees on something called auto pay, Mm. where they um, still track their time, but if they, say, get their work done more efficiently in less than 40 hours, they're still paid for 40 hours. And if they have to go into overtime, obviously, according to the Department of Labor guidelines, they will um, let their manager know, and um, they will get paid for overtime hours if they work more than 40 hours. So um, what we're not doing is we're not punishing efficiency, right? Right. But we're making sure that, you know, they are following the labor laws. Now, interestingly enough, we're finding in certified organizations that overtime hours are, or overtime costs are going down with results-only work environments. Some of our um, certified organizations have cut their overtime costs by 50% by um, moving into a results-only work environment. That doesn't surprise me because I think in a row you have to you have to do more upfront planning and project management and and clearly more clearly defining the results. So naturally, you're probably going to get a lot more done in a lot less time. 
Well, right. And people that are non-exempt employees, they can be very efficient as well. But if they're having to fill their 40 hours, for example, um, they don't have any um, incentive to be more efficient in their work, right? Because if they are more efficient, then they will be paid less money. Right. And if they're more efficient, then their boss will say, oh, you're done early. Here's some more work. (laughs) So... So there, there, there's, you know, there's a problem there with that. But if you're really clear about what the work is and, you, and they understand what it is and they get done in less time, then they should be rewarded for that, right? So, Absolutely. What, what, in your work in some, some of the other countries that you're seeing, what about the laws over there? Has that, has that been a barrier? No, actually, again, like we say, when we're, we're in other countries, we, we look at how to um, be radical, but also follow the law at the same time. So we're, again, we don't break any labor laws. We look at how we can work within the law and still be, you know, focused on results and make sure we're within the guidelines. So it's going to take many years before labor laws change. (laughs) Right. That's for for sure. (laughs) But we have to still, we have to not stay in the, the 20th century. We have to, we have to move forward. And what uh, what are some some other things that you, you suggested that you ha- you now have a certification? So they're at two levels, right? The individual that or the organization you're certifying that organizations are row, and that's just a matter of them applying for that, right? And then I think that there's a price to do that. But then you're also helping people to to pay it forward, so to who they can then implement row. So there's really two levels there, right? Yes, we have what we call the insider certification. So if you are um, an employee at a company and you want to become certified, you can get certified and then you would be able to do training inside the organization. We are also certifying organizations who are getting trained so they can take an assessment and become a role certified organization. So we'll assess your organization to see if you are actually living the role standards. If you are a role certified organization, you can start posting your jobs on the role job board. And then you'll get the, the uh, talent from around the globe that's looking for an organization that's living the real standards. And it's interesting because we're getting flooded with emails on a daily basis of um, people that are looking for uh, real certified organizations. Well, that's outstanding. Any early success stories of the job board? Well, the job board's interesting because... Um, People are are flooding the job board. They want to see more certified organizations on there. They want to see companies stepping up and becoming authentic, role-certified organizations. That's what the talent is looking for in the future. They don't want flexibility. They want organizations that that really are um, moving into the new flexibility model, autonomy and accountability. That's what they're looking for today. Outstanding, and uh, do you, I know that you also have some case studies out there on your website as well? And I've, we I've read through some of those; those those are really interesting. Maybe uh, pick out one or two that you might recommend for people to take a look at. You know, there's there's a couple out there. I would say, you know, organizations that are wondering can this work in manufacturing, for example, they should look at. There's a case study out there, um, a manufacturing case study. There's one out there that's a, an accounting firm. You know, I think we, there's, you know, different industries out there. I think people should go out there and take a look because I think the idea is people think, oh, this can only work, you know, for certain jobs. So I would say people should go out there and, and, and look through those case studies. 
um, because there's it, it, this works in, in many different industries. Again, it's about, it's about results, right? <laughs> it is about results. And well, every Jody, job should do that. Well, Judy, thank you so much for, for appearing on the show. This has been a great conversation, and we hope that you'll maybe come back in the future. And, and, and once we get some, some more uh, uh, organizations that are certified, we have lots and lots of jobs to, and people to feed you because I think there's definitely a hunger for this out there. So thanks so much. Yeah, well, thank Ed you so Ron, much, Jody. Ed and Ron, thanks for having me on the show. It's been great. Keep, keep up the great work. You're at the cutting edge, so we love it. We're big supporters. Thanks, you guys. And Ed, tell us what's on board for next week's show. Well, next week we're going to have some fun since we're, uh, again, in the uh, holiday Christmas season. We did a, a show earlier this year about why not to buy Christmas presents for, for folks. But we're going we're, we're gonna to talk next week about the business lessons from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And there, there are quite a number of them, and I'm really looking forward to having a conversation about some classic literature and some how we can apply that to, to business uh, today. Especially from Dickens. That's very interesting. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, looking forward to it, Ed. We'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage. Supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www.verisage.com slash T-S-O-E.